The Start On Demand. On demand. It is election day in Canada, and Lorraine McNabb is in Montreal. She's going to be at Liberal HQ as part of Global's coverage on Monday evening. So we had lots to discuss today as it pertains to the election. We spoke with Probe Research to find out just how close is this going to be. We also spoke with a political science professor at the University of Manitoba to talk about the actual transition. If it ends up being close, who holds the power? Also, Lorraine had herself quite the misadventure with her wallet on her way to Montreal. We have lots of fun talking about that. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Lorraine McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, September 20th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on this election day. And Greg, our friend Loren, usually broadcasts from south of Winnipeg, but today a little bit further east, would you say? Oh, my goodness, yes. And uh, I found it quite ironic that uh, Loren would go all the way to Montreal only to find the... The leader of the Liberal Party in Winnipeg last night. Uh, is there an aversion there for, uh, by one or the other of you, Loren? I don't think so. I was going to say I think I'm south of the river or the St. Lawrence, but I, I, uh, I'm I, not. I think I'm west of it. I have no idea my direction where I am right now. But I am in Montreal as part of our coverage for tonight. This starts at 6 p.m. sharp on CJOB going coast to coast uh, to tell Canadians what's happening coast to coast. But it was funny because when I woke up yesterday, Trudeau the Liberal leader was here, but then he crisscrossed the nation. It was must have been a grueling day to be on that plane because he made so many stops or virtual stops, I think, in almost every province. Montreal, he touched down in, of course, Vancouver. And then he was in Winnipeg last night. So uh, trying to prop up, I think, some key writings there. We'll get more into that after seven. But no, I don't think there's an aversion. I'm just... Uh, I'm just happy to be out. I feel like I was let out of my cage. Honestly, when I, like, I'm like out on the streets and it's not like I haven't done anything for a year and a half, but this is my first big road trip in a long, long time. And I, you should have seen the grin on my face as I was walking around yesterday, like oh, cobblestone shops, stores. And they're all the same things we have in Winnipeg. But you know, when you go somewhere else, they feel different. Like, ooh, Aritzia. We have that in Winnipeg. Why am I excited to see it in Montreal? I don't know. Because you're on St. Catherine Street. Yes, exactly. Inside of a mall. And exactly. so it, it is different. Did you did you have any uh, local fare? Did you indulge in any uh, uh, any wine last night? Like, uh, give us some inside scoop here, McNabb. <laughs> no, it's been a really busy couple days. We have a lot of rehearsals that we do to get the show ready because it's simulcast on TV and radio and just a lot's been going on. But no, I did stop at a couple different patios because I was uh, just doing some homework and I thought, you know what, I'll bring my laptop down and have a coffee or something outside. And I was telling you guys, I had to laugh so hard. So I stopped at this one spot in old Montreal and I thought, okay, this is yesterday morning. I'll have a coffee here and maybe some breakfast. And I said, can I sit on the patio? And she says, sure, but I have to warn you, the wasps are really bad. <laughs> and I started to laugh because I thought, I can't escape them. And then I looked around and I'm like seeing the odd wasp sort of float, float in and out of someone's scene. And I was like, I think I'll take my chances. And I'm telling you, not once, not once did one touch my table. Like they just sort of hovered. 
They just maybe the French wasps have a bit more decorum to them. <laughs> Actually, oh, excusez-moi. I don't want to bug you, but <laughs> can I have some food? That's what I felt was going on. I've actually kind of found the wasps not to be as bad the last few days. Greg, uh, am I – Am I? would you concur with that assessment? No, we, we had dinner outside <laughs> last night, and we had uh, – appetizers and happy hour on the front porch at mom and dad's last night we ate dinner on the back deck last night and they were absolutely everywhere oh, so okay. no i would not right. concur. <laughs> well there goes your theory they're like uh, roy kent here there and everywhere <laughs> ted, lasso. <laughs> ted lasso cleaning house at the Emmys last night. I didn't watch the Emmys. I was busy watching Ted Lasso. I'm uh, three episodes in now on season two. And uh, deserving of all the awards that it won, Loren. I just uh, I can't believe how much I love this show. And uh, better late than never getting on it. But it's so, so good, Loren. Yeah, and I think the best part about it, I, I think I've mentioned this already, is that once you do get caught up, which I... In conventional TV again because they're only releasing on Apple one episode per week. So once you get to your is it season three now? I can't remember what season I'm on. Two. But season two, sorry. So once you get to season two and you're all cut up, then you'll have to wait week to week for it. And it's nice because you get to Friday and Friday you're looking for sometimes you're looking for a pick me up or it's been a rough week and you turn on the show and that show is just all about putting a smile on your face and then you think, all right, let's do this weekend. Well, and here's the thing. Uh, it looks like, oh, there's 11 episodes this season. I Thank thought it was only goodness. 10. You really made me sad this morning <laughs> so, when you told me the last episode was coming out this coming Friday. Yeah, I assumed it was 10, but it looks like 11 episodes. So that's going to, uh, the season wraps up on Friday, October 8th. So yeah, you're right. I'm going to be finished. I'm going to be caught up on the season by the end of this week, and then I'll have to wait a couple of weeks to watch that. So, uh, But no big surprises at the Emmys. Ted Lasso cleaning house in the comedy. The Crown cleaned up on the drama side, and then the Queen's Gambit took home the award for uh, limited series. Uh, also today, we are going to launch a new contest called Backyard Bullseye with Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing. So we're going to do this just after 8.50, for the next couple of weeks, you get to take your shot at guessing the secret backyard bullseye number between 1 and 680. And by the end of the week, the caller who is closest to the bullseye number is one of two qualifiers to win an amazing backyard package worth $5,000 from Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing. So you can get full details on that at cjob.com. Would you, uh, while you're out back there, Greg, maybe you just needed to, like I'm looking at the image of a, of a dartboard here on the contest, maybe you just needed to throw some darts at the wasps. <laughs> well, I'm not very good at darts, so throwing them at a wasp, probably not going to be a great strategy. However, I wouldn't mind. I've got a section of fence that needs to be replaced a vinyl fence would look absolutely fantastic. I'm going to be very jealous of whoever wins this contest. Outstanding opportunity to uh, bring your backyard, your side yard into the 22nd century here because that might be how long this fence lasts. Vinyl yeah, fence. You don't ever have to paint it, Loren. That's what I was you going to You would like a deck made of <laughs> vinyl it. fencing, perhaps? I'd like it all made of vinyl, whatever. Put it all on the vinyl so I never have to worry about painting, staining, or anything ever again. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is election day. Loren McNabb is in Montreal, and we'll talk more about the election in a moment. But a reminder, new contest, Backyard Bullseye with 
Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing. We're going to do that contest at $8.50. $5,000 prize up for grabs. Full details at cjob.com. And in our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can get your hands on a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza based on wallet misadventures. Loren had herself one over the weekend, and I'm looking forward to hearing the full story in our next segment. But right now... Too close to call. That's where we're at right now after five weeks of campaigning, Greg. Mm-hmm. Sort of how we started this whole thing. <laughs> uh, pulled done exclusively by Ipsos. Pardon my uh, my candor on this one. For Global News, showed us as of yesterday, conservatives are on track to garner 32% of the popular vote, while liberals went down a point in the polls, meaning they now sit at 31%. The NDP is receiving 21% of the support in this survey, while the Green Party is now at three, and depending on which poll you look at, the People's Party of Canada, Loren is sitting anywhere between five and seven percent. So what does this all mean? Sometimes the answer is nothing, right? Because the polls will say one thing and then people will go and vote today and do something entirely different. But polls are now open in Newfoundland, so it all begins now. We have a full day to consider where this will go, and it might go past today. Global National's Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson says it all starts in Atlantic Canada. Normally in a federal election, I've covered several in the last 10 years, we have a sense of where this might come out, and we really don't know. So start watching in Atlantic Canada. If that doesn't turn completely liberal red, the liberals are in trouble. Doesn't mean they couldn't still pull off a minority, but a majority, which we already know is a remote chance, will be down the tubes at that point. We're also going to be looking at what does support look like for the NDP and the People's Party of Canada. Those are the two potential political wild cards. Either one could could cause the opposite side to lose or win. The NDP could take votes away from the Liberals and the PPC could take votes away from the Conservatives. Those could create vote splits where a party that normally would not win a riding is able to take the day. We'll be looking to see as we go across the GTA and Quebec as well and the Lower Mainland right here in Vancouver to see how things are starting to play out. And Mercedes, what will the ballot question be in what some are calling a campaign about nothing? Well, I think that that's a great question. And it's one that we really don't have the answer to, Nithu. Uh, you know, this has been the campaign about nothing. The Seinfeld election, Afghanistan really was something that dominated the campaign early on. We've talked about affordability. We've talked about COVID-19. Uh, and we've talked about leadership. But what it'll really come down to is a lot of emotion. And it will also come down uh, to a campaign where whether people decide in a referendum they want to keep Justin Trudeau on as the prime minister or if they're ready for change. Aaron O'Toole has overperformed what his critics expected, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be able to win uh, on uh, Monday night, but we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Okay, so Greg, you referenced the fact it kind of feels like we're circling back to where we started. I thought the point of this was for us to decide who we thought would best lead us out of this pandemic and into the next phase of what we hope is a big economic recovery and all the rest. I don't know if Canadians are asking that themselves today. I don't I wonder if they're gonna just go in and just think, do I even want to be here or not? You know, like is are you apathetic or just done or frustrated or you're even gonna go? You know, like the polls are so tight that he might end up with Trudeau might end up with less seats than he had if he gets a minority. And of course you could have conservatives pull out that minority win. No one's talking about a majority right now. And I 
sort of kind of throw up my hands in the air and lasai over here in Montreal. <laughs> well, the terminology coalition government, I don't know if that'll come up at any point tonight, but I suspect it may over the next day or two, depending on how things suss themselves out. I was listening to The Shift overnight, and they were talking about how British Columbia and some ridings and seats in that province for the first time may in fact end up being the deciding factor in this election. The kingmakers, and, yeah. Yes, and I and I don't know if you can underestimate what's going on in Saskatchewan and Alberta with COVID-19 as to how people in those provinces will vote. Because as you know, very strong support traditionally for the Conservatives there, but the provincial governments in each of those provinces have had to bring in some pretty strict rules. They've gone back on their promises with regards to vaccine passports. And will that translate to less than usual support for the federal conservatives? All sorts of things at play here. The only disappointment really for me, Brett, in this campaign, other than the fact that it took place in the first place, is that in of all campaigns where we should have heard more conversation about reconciliation with the first peoples of Canada in our country, uh, that really ended up being on the back burner. And I'm really disappointed of all years of, that a campaign would have had this first and four in the forefront. Didn't happen. And as far as the, uh, we, we read that uh, the People's Party of Canada sitting at anywhere between 5 and 7%, depending on which poll you look at. Do you think that number is low, GMAC? Yes, I do. Uh, some of the only lawn signs in pockets of my neighborhood uh, on certain streets are PPC. And I think that there, it's sort of, you know, you remember when we went into, and please don't mistake this for me comparing Donald Trump to the leader of the PC, PPC. That's not what I'm doing here. But you'll remember that, you know, there was nobody really predicting that Hillary Clinton would lose to Donald Trump. And a big part of that in retrospect was the fact that even in polls, when people were getting surveyed about which way they were going to vote, People didn't really want to admit that they were thinking about and would actually cast a ballot for Donald Trump. And I think that might be uh, part of the equation here with regard to Max Bernier. If they go, if they actually get out and vote, that's another part of the, the equation. Just lots of people, they're not sure how the support turns into actual action. If that's a group of people who are supporting PBC will actually get out and vote or, you know, nobody knows the voting history there because that party is so new in terms of how often they vote, right? So they're talking about voter turnout. You know, we looked at the advanced polls. It was in the millions. It was higher than it's been in previous years. So people think, oh, good, that means people are engaged. That might just mean people are getting out because they didn't want to deal with pandemic lines or wanted to get it all over and done with early. And some people are worried there might be lower voter turnout than the last two elections. So I don't know. That's the number that I always watch for, too, because that's also extremely disappointing. And in a campaign, as Mercedes says, that's been about nothing, a Seinfeld campaign, you know, I don't know how you expect people to be engaged in that. And that's a great point on the advanced polling as well. I mean, it was just, it, it was way more convenient, I thought, to, to yeah. take advantage of the advanced poll because it was, I think there was a four-day window, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., rather than having to go deal with the potential scramble on election day. So, uh, but let us know. Feel free to weigh in, 204-780-6868. Are you going to participate in the vote? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is election day. Lorraine McNabb is in Montreal. She will be part of Global's national coverage, and that gets underway at 6 o'clock on 680 CJOB. And Lorraine, 
you were excited. You got to travel. You know, you, you referred to it earlier as you got let out of your cage. <laughs> but uh, in it, it almost seems like it would it would be wrong if it didn't get off to a, a bumpy start. What oh, happened? I- and by the way, cage is just a reference to the fact I've been stuck in my basement. It's no reference to the home front, in case anyone's <laughs> listening. But I, I just mean because I've been in that basement slogging away for so long. So, yes, I, I like to get to the airport barely on time. I like to just get in. I'm not. It's no surprise to anyone. You know, I like to leave things to the last minute. However, Saturday, I was super organized. I'm leaving home. Kids have hockey. I've got their schedules ready. In-laws are coming to help. I've got things written on the fridge for where they have to go, who they have to meet with, birthday parties, plan, groceries, things. And I leave. I leave early. I get to the airport an hour and 10 minutes early. And I'm pulling in. I'm like, man, I might, I might even have time for a Caesar in the airport. So I <laughs> get to the trunk, pulling out my laptop. And immediately I think to myself, where's my wallet? digging around my personal wallet, digging around in my laptop bag, no wallet. Oh my God, I have forgotten my wallet. Now, luckily I had brought my passport, but I am a person when I travel, I need to have cash on with me. I don't like to not have the access to cash. You never know what's going to happen. You never know if your cards aren't going to work. I like to have cash or at least the ability to do this. Oh my gosh, I need my wallet. I get my car, put everything, sweating like things are just ripped out, clothes are all over the place, shove it all back in the trunk, get in the car, take off. I'm going down. The, I don't know where I'm going. Call my husband. I forgot my wallet. Like I'm talking to a pitch only dogs can hear. He's like, what, what do I do about this? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I said, get hit the road. And I'm like, no, wait, that's dumb. Even if we met halfway, I'm never making it back here in time. We live 45 minutes south of the airport. It's not happening. And then I have this epiphany. Okay. I don't know why I didn't think about the Apple wallet and just putting credit card info into my phone, but I didn't. I didn't think of that till much later. So I rush to the nearest CIBC branch. I go racing in. There's a lineup. I scoop past the line. I'm like, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Ra- race right back to the back room where there's a manager in her office. I open her door. I'm really sorry, uh, Tracy, as I look and see her name. I need a bank card right now. I'm supposed to be on a plane and my voice is getting all like, I'm going to sob, cry. No problem. Scott, calm down. I'm going to get you one in three minutes. Like very soothing. And I sit down. She does. In three minutes, I have a bank card in my hand. I'm back out the, oh, I rush to the bank machine. we pull out some cash. Back at the airport. Now it is 2.10 and my flight leaves at 2.40. So I have 30 minutes to get inside, get in the, get through security. I get to security, easily 40 people in front of me. And it slowly moves and they divide you all up. The guy in front of me, slow taking off his belt, slow taking off his shoes, slow like talking away, chatty Cathy. I'm like, move along. My name is being paged. It's now 2.30 and I'm running, like running down the thing. Of course, it's the last gate. Get to the last gate. Get on the plane. It's the last seat on the plane. There's no room for anything. And I'm like, you did it. Like, you're, you're here. You're good. Calm down. But an hour into the flight, the drink cart comes by. And I'm like, I wonder if they take cash because I really could use a drink right now. And I realize as they get to me, nope, it's only credit card and uh, MasterCard or Visa. Fine. I might as well do some homework reading. I open up my laptop and what is sitting right next to it but my wallet. And as the drink card goes by, I yell out, excuse me, wine, please. And that is my story. That took a long time to get there, but I, I think I lost like five pounds in pure sweat and anxiety. It was awful. All right. So here's what we need at 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about your wallet. You ever lose it? You ever forget it? What happened? And we'll give away the Santa Lucia pizza gift card just after 9.15. Let's go around the horn here. Why don't we start with producer Sky in for Fortier today. Hello there, Sky. Hello. What's your story? I, I don't, I'm not much of a loser myself in that regard. 
I, I Hang mean, on. Would dry Whoa, ha- easy with the name card. Well, I mean, you're losing things, so. <laughs> wow, I really try. Off, really. I really try not to. Like, I'm still not over a DVD I lost that in a move 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, wow. It was Beethoven's Fifth, the, Is that, the child's the, movie. Like the dog movies? Yeah. <laughs> Can you replace it for about $1.99 on online, probably? It's not the same. Okay. okay. Uh, Jeff Braun. No, I'm I'm with Sky. I don't lose my wallet. I hold on to that. Oh, you guys! I'm, I'm sorry about that. And I would also uh, I I've got about five DVDs I've lent out to people over the years and have not had them returned, and I carry that grudge with me on a daily basis. But uh, <laughs> I did thin out my wallet recently. I, I saw that. I, I had to go digging around in it for something that I hadn't used in a long time, and I realized there was quite a lot of stuff in it I hadn't used in a long time, and I took out about. Half an inch worth of uh, papers and cards and stuff. The newest thing was five years old, and I didn't need any of it. So I was, I was thinning out the wallet, and I was a little bit worried. It's like, well, now it's much thinner and lighter. It will be easier to lose or you know, not realize that I have it in my pocket kind of thing. So I am a little bit stressed about that. But I'm always so stressed about losing my wallet that I've just, I have my hand on it. Every moment I'm outside. Uh, George Costanza wallet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Poitras, what about you? Oh, your goodness. You guys are so good with your wallets. I'm missing my... I'm, I'm actually frantically running around looking for my wallet. I think it's almost a daily basis thing. Yes. Like yesterday, I forgot it, uh, and then I forgot my lunch on top of a car, and I had to go run back in to go grab my wallet. <laughs> Uh, and then I said, oh, yeah, see you later. I'm out of here. And then, oh, check my pocket. So here I walk back in. And that ha- that's happen- happening to me all the time. So, like, for me to pick one wa- losing a wallet story, I mean, it's like it's just my life. <laughs> just me living my life. Uh, but I haven't, like, lost it, like, lost it, lost it for years. So it's only, like, an hour or two. And then I'm able to find it. It's usually, like, in a pocket or, like, I put it. Because I, I, I put stuff down. I never remember wh- where I put yes. it. And I don't know why I would put it there. Why don't I put it in the same place every single time? I can't. I guess I just don't live that life. And I <laughs> can't find the dang thing. And it's like, well, well, and then I finally find it, like, somewhere in a, on top of a bookcase in the back. It's like, why would I put it here? And then immediately leave my brain. And it doesn't make sense. We should never, ever, ever be allowed to be in any room together. <laughs> no. It feels like that's just, we'll no. die. Oh, God, I'm so bad. Mackling, what about you? I've lost my wallet three times legit and found it, fortunately, all three times. Varying uh, uh, amounts of time in between losing it and finding it. Uh, once it was about six months, I replaced everything. My brother showed up at my house. We'd been working on a project together, cleaning out a house, and uh, he goes, found your wallet. Is at the bottom of the pile of crap that's in the back of my truck so it all winter had had been in the back of his truck on an adventure i lost it once three days before going to seattle uh for a holiday and so had to do the running around and about mm, two hours after i had completed all those tasks i got a phone call from someone who had found my wallet every single piece of identification and credit card inside it was missing the 80 dollars in cash which was fine (laughs) But the most stressful was when I went to California by myself in 2015. 
Uh, I got off the plane and realized I didn't have my wallet when I got to the car rental counter, went back. Fortunately, the plane was still there. They looked three times for for it. They said, sir, it's not here. I said, it's got to be. Will you please let me on the plane? And fortunately, I found it in between the seats. But I was, I know exactly how you felt on Saturday. It was 11 o'clock at night, Loren, and without a wallet, I wasn't getting a rental car. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and Montreal. That's where Loren McNabb finds herself this morning. She'll be stationed at the Liberal headquarters for election night. Global's coverage starts at 6 p.m. right here on 680 CJOB. At 7.37 this morning, we're going to get a debrief on yesterday's 20th annual breast cancer pledge ride. We'll find out how many riders hit the road, how much money did they make. And it's Monday, which means at 8.37, Greg, who do we talk to Mondays at 8.30? The voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Knuckles Irving. Bob will join us and we'll break down the game a little bit. Bombers are off this week. And, of course, with election coverage, no coaches show tonight. So that means this is your one opportunity to hear from Bob and have him break down now what was uh, another win for the Blue and Gold. The campaigning is over. Now it's all up to you. Polls open in Manitoba at 8.30. They close at 8.30 tonight. And how the leaders spent their final day on the trail might give us a hint as to which ridings they think might be up for grabs or in trouble. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole spent yesterday in the Toronto area, while NDP leader uh, Jagmeet Singh was in seven ridings in the Metro Vancouver region, Loren. Meanwhile, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau, he spent the day crossing the country. He started Sunday where I am in Montreal, and then he held either in-person or virtual events in every province except Saskatchewan. And his plane itinerary included touching down in Vancouver and a pit stop in Winnipeg last night where he visited the riding of Winnipeg Centre. That, of course, as you've been hearing in the news run with Jeff Braun, is a riding that's currently held by the NDP and has usually always gone orange with the exception of a Liberal uh, pick up in 2015, but it's NDP again. And so we want to start in that writing with Mary Agnes Welch, partner at Probe Research. Good morning, Mary Agnes. Good morning. So let's talk about Winnipeg Centre. Is there any sign that Liberals can take that back? Or was that more just about getting the troops together? Because there was other, you know, would-be MPs and other Liberals there from other writings that might be in play. Yeah, that's a it's a great question. I was having that exact same debate last night on my, on my various DMs with a bunch of different uh, politicos, and I think my hunch is we shouldn't read too much into the fact that 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 the Trudeau's visit happened to be in Winnipeg Centre. Leah Gazan is uh, from I live in this in that uh, riding, and I think she's quite popular, um, and I think it would take a real kind of liberal national like kind of really big national polling numbers to 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 get a liberal back uh, in this riding. I think it's more likely the the, the beer can on Main Street, um, you know, was like, it has a stage, it's centrally located, it's a beautiful night, we can get all the liberals from all the ridings downtown pretty quickly. Um, I think it might have been might have been more logistics than a real hope that the liberals could take uh, Winnipeg Centre. Mary Agnes, we are so accustomed to in, in Canada knowing who the Prime Minister will be before most of us go to bed. Uh, if we're inclined to stay up and watch the coverage, we've discussed also over the last couple of weeks the popularity of mail-in ballots, about 5 million plus of them across the country. Could that affect whether or not we get a result this evening? Yeah, I think it. I think it actually will. I'm I'm pretty much prepared to have to go to bed at 2 a.m. and wake up and, and kind of see where things are at in the morning. I think, I think, I think there, there's just so many close seats 
starting in Quebec and moving through Ontario and BC, where Jagmeet Singh was, was yesterday, I think it will be a really late night. And as you know, the mail-in ballots kind of, they, the bulk of them really get counted on Tuesday, like sort of uh, uh, over the next day. And I think there will be, in theory, quite a number of seats that really co- do come down to those mail-in ballots. So yeah, like get yourself some snacks, get a beer. It's going to be a long night, I think. Um, but who knows? Like this, I mean, you know, we w- Canadians sometimes make last minute kind of coalescing decisions, and that might be the case this time. Where actually, no, we're, we we've we've all come to the kind of a bit of a conclusion, and we're gonna you know we're gonna kind of move in all in one direction at the last minute. That's still a possibility. Lots of talk in recent days about the People's Party of Canada and where they could siphon off support from the Tories. Is that a possibility in some writings here in Manitoba? Yeah, I think it's a big possibility. And I think if you'd asked me this earlier on, I would have said, maybe, maybe not. That's clearly changed. I think I think the Liberals, particularly in, in Charleswood St. James, are sort of counting on a 10, 12% PPC vote that will likely siphon some, not all, but some votes away from, from Marty Morantz, the, the Tory uh, MP there. So I think there, I think there's like writings like Provence and Portage Liscard that we actually don't typically pay much attention to it during a campaign because they're so hardcore conservative. I think we're going to see some parts of those writings, you know, where there's a quite a significant PPC um, uh, vote, you know, like maybe 20%. Um, and that's just here. Imagine that that sort of pattern happening in writings all over Canada. And it could be, it, I, I, it, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know for sure, but my hunch is it might be quite damaging for the Tories in a bunch of writings that, that they would otherwise hope to pick up. Yeah, we talk about vote splitting every election, but this one feels very different. Of course, the PPC, what they could take from the Tories. And then, of course, in other influential writings, they're talking about the NDP support and it being stronger than it has been in years past and what it could take from the Liberals. So that's a big possibility. We talk about voting, too, Mary Ignis, in terms of the voter turnout. The advance voting was high, but is that a sign of anything? Does that give us any indication that Canadians are maybe more engaged than we thought? Not not typically. Um, advanced voting is sort of about mechanics, uh, usually, and a bit less about, like, super voter enthusiasm. Um, I think this time, though, the fact that this is a really close race and people know in their own riding that it's a close race, nationally it's a close race, some of the sort of the, the political science, you know, um, uh, uh, kind of knowledge suggests that Canadians tend to vote when they know their vote really, really matters. And I think, even though maybe we're not totally geeked up about this election, uh, wondering why we're having it in the middle of a pandemic, I think that's been a theme. I do think, you know, a, a tight race tends to propel people to the polls a little bit more often. Mary Agnes Welch, partner at Probe Research, joining us live on CJOB. Thank you very much for the insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Mackling McGarry McNabb, we got a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza up for grabs, and we're asking you to tell us a story involving your wallet, some sort of wallet-related mishap after Loren thought she forgot her wallet as she was on the way to Montreal, realized it was in her laptop bag the whole time. <laughs> so, hey, at least you found it. That that was a huge relief. I'm sure I looked there, too. That's the part that sucks. I, I You know how you feel you looked? Yeah. And then you go back and you're like, what? I swear I checked here. <laughs> and it's bright blue. It's not as though, it, you know, you couldn't see it. Just not, not my best day. So we're getting lots of text messages. Greg, what do you got? 
Always the last place you look, eh? I lost my wallet one time, and I could have sworn I set it on the bench by the door. Ended up telling my son if he found my wallet, he was 18 at the time, by the way, that I would give him $20. About three days later, I got a hysterical call from my son at around midnight. I thought something had happened, something bad, because he was home alone. Lo and behold, he was so excited that he found my wallet. He just wanted the 20 bucks. The wallet was in the back of the dog kennel. So I'm surmising <laughs> it was the dog that snagged the wallet. Uh, no confirmation yet from Craig. I've thrown that theory at him, uh, anxiously awaiting Craig's uh, return text message. Oh, wonderful. So, Loren, you, you say that you have the digital wallet set up? No, no, of course I haven't bothered to fix oh, okay. that at all. No, I just, once I settled down on the plane and I thought, okay, I could have just called, got the credit card number, you know, I don't, and put it in. I don't ever rem- remember my credit card numbers. But I do, the thing is, I really do like to have cash. I don't know if that comes from just traveling overseas and you get to places that credit cards don't work or bank cards don't always work depending on where you are. And so that was my panic. Like as if Montreal doesn't have a thousand places I could have figured this out. I'm stressed still thinking about this, to be honest. Do you have it set up? I don't. The Apple Wallet. I should. I should, right? I should probably have it set up. Uh, they, I guess for me it would be Google Wallet or whatever you call it on yeah. Android. Um, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, like I told the story a few months back when I went to the, I rang up all my groceries and checkout and then reached for my wallet and it wasn't there. So yeah. I, had, I had to embarrassingly put everything in a bag and say, can I leave this here? I left my wallet at home. And, uh, and then I had to come back and jump in front of the line again, and it felt like a jerk. People thought I was skipping the line. Like, I've left my wallet at home. I'm sorry. If only Blake Wheeler had been in line behind you, then you would have been <laughs> all right. <laughs> Could have paid for my groceries. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're going to talk about vaccine cards in a moment, but before that... Where would one find a vaccine card? Probably in their wallet. And we're asking you to tell us stories about wallet mishaps at 204-780-6868. Greg, what's this latest one you've harvested here? I had just gone out with my boyfriend and had put a few dollars in the slots for the first time ever. I ended up winning $3,000. Wait. So we decided to go out for something to eat. I had put my wallet on top of my car to unlock my doors and totally forgot it was up there. I turned onto the road and had started on our way to the restaurant. Still unaware my wallet was on top of my vehicle. Then I heard honking from behind me. A man in a truck had seen my wallet fly off the roof of my vehicle onto the highway, stopped in traffic, picked it up, and ran it to me. Luckily, nothing flew out, and even though I offered him some of my winnings, he refused and told me to just have a better day. Wow. I've had this happen to me. On the way to Ottawa, driving our, my sister there for university, I put my wallet on top of the car somewhere in Michigan or Minnesota. I can't remember. Somewhere. It had $600 of Chicken Terry dollars in it. Chicken Terry's <laughs> is where I worked in high school. That's a lo- that's like five bucks an hour minimum wage. That was so much cash. It flew off the top of the car, and I realized about five kilometers down the roll, roll, road, and we turned around and went back, and this guy had seen it, and he was in the ditch grabbing the wallet. I don't know if he intended to leave it for the rightful owner, but I got it back. Excellent. That is fantastic. And hey, uh, you would need to get that wallet back so that you can use your vaccine card if you uh, have the physical card, Greg. Uh, I've, I've gotten to use it a few more times now, and uh, 
I've always sort of wondered, how would it work if I was in another province? Yeah, for sure. I used it Friday night. We went out to Jonesy's for dinner, and they processed it all very quickly, very efficiently. But most provinces, of course, have some form of a card or system, but none of them really look the same. And, Loren, we're learning that in some places there's concern they could actually be forged or falsified based on the technology that they're using. Yeah, that's been a part of the conversation right now, including in Alberta, because as of today in that province, you need proof of two doses or a negative COVID test. So as Global's Nicole Stilger explains, the cards are easy to access in Alberta, but some residents there say they're finding the information isn't all in the system. That's familiar to some Manitobans, right? You might have your one dose or two dose, but not all the doses accounted for. And of course, as you mentioned, Greg, Greg, warnings that these cards are too easy to fake. And just before I uh, hit this clip here, I just want, uh, it's not actually in front of me here, Loren, but I do see one. Is it a minute 25? Is that what I'm supposed to be hitting? Yeah, apologies. Yes, okay. Alberta vaccine. Sorry okay. about that. Oh, no, that's okay. We're, you know, Loren's in Montreal. We're I'm in the studio. Greg's in another <laughs> studio. We can't talk to each other face to face. So here we go. Here's the, the report from Nicole Stilger. You put in the information, it popped up, but it popped up with only one of my vaccinations. John Ruby and his wife both have two doses. They can see that in information on the My Health website, but not on their vaccine cards, trying more than once. Nothing's consistent across any of these platforms. It's critical right now, especially when everything's being mandated. Albertans will need this proof or a negative COVID-19 test result from within 72 hours if they want to go into any business participating in the restrictions exemption program, which starts Monday. I'm not going to pay $140 for a test when when I've been vaccinated and the government really has a responsibility to have the records correct. NDP health critic David Shepard says he's glad there's a system in place, but calls it weak. I am concerned to hear reports from folks that uh, this, in fact, is a very easily hackable, editable PDF of the card. Shepard says for weeks, the NDP has been calling for a scannable QR code showing someone's vaccination status. Businesses, schools, others need to have accurate information for them to be able to conduct their business and be able to protect the people that they work with and their clients. The province says a QR code is still in the works and the PDF is now as secure as it can be. However, a motivated individual can edit the document to create a new record. It's important to point out that falsifying a health record is an offence under the Health Information Act. Nicole Stilger, Global News. So how did it work for you, Loren, in uh, Quebec? So it was interesting because I got here Saturday night. And of course, another reason why I was panicked that I lost my wallet on the way to Montreal was that I had my vaccine card in it. And of course, I have the QR code on my phone, but I didn't know what they were going to ask for when I got here. So when I was talking to the hotel staff, I said to them, before I head out, I'm going to go for try to find something to eat. Is this going to work? I showed them my card and he said, what is that? And I said, it's my vaccine card. And he's like, okay. He's like, can you turn it over? And I turned it over and it just has the QR code on the back. And he says, okay, um, where do you have two doses? And I was like, sure. I said, they don't hand this out unless you get two doses. He's like, ooh, okay. All right, that should work. Have your ID ready, head out. And so I went to the first restaurant. There was people in front of me pulling out their papers. They were from Ontario. There was another couple from um, BC. They were also pulling out their papers. And when I got to the restaurant or the person at the front, she said, can I see um, your papers? And so I pulled up that card again and she did the exact same thing. She's like, what am I looking at? And, And she said, well, I need to know that you've had two doses. Do you know what dates? And so I had, before I left the hotel, decided, I'm going to go and ask if they can print out my copy in case this happens. And so I have had the printable 
proof candy. But it just sort of stood out to me that it's so piecemeal, Greg, that yeah, we're not all traveling across this country, but we're all, we all do travel, whether it's south of the border, you know, maybe just to Saskatchewan and Ontario. And if this is the way forward, I think we need a better system, like we more universal system, because it was all some some couples had two pieces of paper. One had a tiny little card, like piece paper card. I had the plastic card. It's too confusing. Well, I've heard it. Uh, on one report uh, on a national uh, media outlet, and I've seen it at least three times on social media. Get ready for this, folks. Uh, Manitoba (laughs) is the system that other provinces should be following. This is quite a common statement from others and those that are familiar with what we're doing here. And, of course, we know about the thousands of Manitobans who had issues with getting the cards originally and getting the QR codes. We had that shortage of production where they actually couldn't print cards for several weeks. And here we are now, Brett, if you can imagine, the rest of the country, not maybe unanimously, but in very, uh, very often it's being said that, that Manitoba is the model that should be followed. And based on what Loren experienced and people, people having to pull out paper copies of their vaccine and dates, et cetera, uh, perhaps uh, we've been on to something all along. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's great that Manitoba is, uh, is being pointed at as the leader in this field, but the, just this whole process or parts of these this process is just frustrating like the you know the world mobilizes to to come up with vaccines but now no one seems to want to get along on an international level as to which vaccines are being accepted here and there right. and now we've got this uh, additional headache of if you want to if you want to leave the borders of your own region then you have to be prepared for that headache because the Manitoba card means nothing it's like, as you pointed out, Loren, what happens if you decide you want to go to Las Vegas or something? What sort of documentation are you going to have to, like, you're going to have to carry the printout from the Shared Health website that shows the dates that you had and the vaccines that you had? Uh, it just seems like a, a big enough headache for me. Yeah. And then just to get that, you know, I, like the hotel was pretty good about it, but I don't have a printer in my room to print that off. So I had to go down there and she said, OK, well, just send me the link. And I was like, no, it's my private health information. I'm not sending you my link with a password on it. Like, you know, So she's like, right, right. Come down, come down. We'll, we'll figure out a way. And we did. But it was just, you know, hilarious to see. And in some ways, I enjoyed seeing all these people super proud and had no issue pulling out their information, right? There was at least three or four different provinces I, I saw come in to a patio yesterday, and nobody had an issue with it. But it made me laugh to see us all fumble with our different pieces of ID. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Reminder, new contest at 8.50 this morning. Backyard Bullseye with Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing. Full details at cjob.com. We have a $5,000 prize up for grabs, so we'll tell you how it works coming up in our next half hour. But we're going to continue now. It's Election Day. Lorenz in Montreal is part of the global national coverage tonight, which starts at 6 o'clock right here on CJOB and at globalnews.ca, on Amazon Prime Video, on Roku, on the Global News app, lots of places where you can tune in to the coverage. Um, And as far as the election is concerned, in case you haven't heard, I'm frustrated, Greg, that we're even having this election. I think it's for, I I don't speak for anybody else. If you agree with me, great. If not, oh, also great. But I think this election's a joke uh, that we're going back. It's a waste of taxpayers' dollars. I hate it. 
Well, right now, based on the polls, we're in a neck-and-neck battle between the Tories and the Liberals. And this one could go well into the night and beyond, in fact, in terms of deciding who wins this election. That's due in part to the mail-in ballots. Locally mailed ballots don't get counted until tomorrow because Election Canada, Elections Canada, needs to verify those voters also didn't vote in person, Loren. So uh, some uh, some extra precaution going on there. Yeah, and that's, you know, that'll be an impact in those tight writings. And so we'll wait and see if, you know, how that mail-in vote will impact certain areas. It depends. If it's a runaway race from one of the parties, it might not be part of the conversation. But if it it's close as expected, then those mail-in ballots really do count in so many spaces. And so right now, again, anything can happen, but it looks like, and this is probably why you're sighing, Brett. I called it le sigh this morning. That's my French for sighing. Yeah. We're heading towards another minority government exactly where we started five weeks ago. Now, who ends up holding the balance of power in that minority? We don't know. Again, this is what we're looking at right now. But the question that's being asked in so many circles is, does the party that captures the most seats automatically take power? Christopher Adams is a political science professor at the University of Manitoba and is going to try to walk us through it this morning. Hi, Christopher. Hi, Loren. Nice to be with your folks today. Well, thanks for taking the time. And, I, and you know, I think Canadians are pretty familiar with minority governments. We've had four of them uh, in the last six years, and we could be going for the fifth tonight. But I think we might be unfamiliar with how this might shake out tonight. If it's, if it's really close and the leader only has a lead of a few seats, does that leader and party automatically take power? Well, the, the 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 leader who has the most seats in the government or in the in the House of Commons would meet with the Governor General, and the Governor General would ask that leader if uh, he or she can form a, a, enough uh, enough of a partnership with other parties to to form a government, and uh, that would be not a coalition government, but it'd be a minority government in which the leading party is supported in votes by another party. Um, sometimes in very rare circumstances, what can happen is, is uh, if that person can't uh, pull together enough support in the House of Commons, then the governor general might ask the second leading um, leader in the, in the House of Commons. So there are some different scenarios. Uh, but as you said, that we are kind of used to having minority governments. You look at the past 60 years and seven uh, minority governments have been formed and nine majority governments have been formed, if my mm. count is correct. So, Christopher, uh, you mentioned the terminology coalition. It's something that uh, I've been hearing more often in the last several days. Is that something that's an option in Canada? And what does that look like? It's fairly unusual. You know, Canada had a coalition government during the First World War. And uh, Manitoba had coalition uh, governments during the 1940s. But a coalition government is where you actually invite another party or two parties to um, um, provide some cabinet ministers into your government. So that's fairly unusual or quite unusual in Canada. So a minority government uh, that of the Stephen Harper kind or the Lester Pearson kind or Pierre Trudeau in 72 is where you, or Justin Trudeau just recently, where you operate with your own cabinet ministers, but that the vote um, is supported by another party or two. And that was uh, the minority government of Joe Clark in 79, with a failed minority in that that he didn't uh, provide get enough votes from other parties, specifically the social credit in 79, and the government fell just after a few months in power. 
So how would this go down tonight? I mean, we talked about the mail-in ballots, Christopher, but say this is the way it goes. This is the lay of the land with a minority. Are we talking days before we understand who, you know, holds the balance of power? Are we talking weeks? Like, what's the usual timeline for something like this? Well, as a kid, I remember the 1972 election, and we didn't know until the next day sometime that Stanfield had lost and Trudeau had won. I would say that, that we're going to know tonight who, who, who is going to be the party that will be forming the government. And, and the reason is that most elections, you, most ridings are won by a, a fair margin. And there might be a, 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 um, you know, dozens of, of ridings that are still in play, but we'll be able to tell which candidates are leading in which ridings. And, and so I'd be surprised if we're still hanging out on, on uh, Tuesday trying to figure out who's going to win. But there are some ridings that get won by a whisker. You know, the Winnipeg South was lost by uh, Reg Alcock by about 120 votes in, in, uh, in 1980, uh, 2004. And here in my riding in Elmwood, Transcona, Daniel Blakey won that by roughly 50 votes in 2015. So there are ridings that will be won by a whisker, and those mail-in ballots will be the key for those ones. Just a quick uh, last question for you here, Christopher. Uh, being a sports mm-hmm. fan and getting together on Grey Cup and wings and nachos and all these different sorts of uh, get-togethers that we take part in during uh, major sporting events, is this like the Grey Cup for you? Will you be gathering with other political sciences, scientists <laughs> and will you be having some sort of buffet of some sort? Like, how does this go down for you tonight? Well, I do remember being with your folks on 2015 with Jeff Courier and, and, and Richard Cloutier, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, so, I, so I will be in the media tonight and, and tomorrow. So it is a, and uh, some places I know pollsters get together and drink martinis and watch the results come in. <laughs> what is election food? This is a great topic. What, what's the best election food? Huh? Salami and and, and martinis. (laughs) Christopher Adams, political science professor at the University of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Take care, all. Bye-bye. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is election day. Loren McNabb is in Montreal as part of Global's coverage that begins tonight at 6 o'clock right here on 680 CJOB. And Loren, I guess the polls in Manitoba are now open. Yeah, you can head there right now. If you didn't take part in that advanced voting, then you can, uh, as of six and a half minutes ago, walk into your polling station and cast your ballot. So you have until 8.30 tonight. You got all day to make that decision. And I know some of us uh, sometimes make that right when we're standing there. That's been my experience the past couple elections. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I've just stood there and been like, all right, deciding right now. That's how it goes down for me. (laughs) That'll probably be how it goes down for me today as well. I left the house this morning without my voter card. I was far too concerned about making sure I had my wallet based on Lorenz adventures over the weekend. So I do have my driver's license. So I believe I can just slide into my polling station, which I know where it is, but it just might take me a little bit longer to complete the process. I may have to sign something and prove who I am as opposed to just sort of handing in that card and then showing them my, my ID. So I'll give you an idea of how it went. Uh, after I get that completed around 11 o'clock. Question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. As Canadians head to the polls today, when are you planning to vote, if you haven't already? Morning, afternoon, evening, or I don't have time? 
slash not voting. Cast your vote, cjob.com. It's on Twitter as well, at 680CJOB. Winnipeg Blue Bombers enter a bye week with a 6-1 and record following a 37-22 win in Edmonton over the Elks on Saturday night. Two defensive touchdowns, more solid quarterback play, and nearly 100 yards rushing from Andrew Harris. I'm getting the sense that the win wasn't seen as pretty by some of the Blue Bomber faithful. I accept the fact that this wasn't a Picasso, as they say. However, let's bring in Bob Irving, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers here on 680 CJOB. Bob, how do the players and coaches feel about how things went down Saturday night? Well, read Picasso, Greg, I would say they don't all have to be oil paintings, do they? As mm-hmm. long as uh, as long as at the end of the game you have more points than the other guys, I think, uh, you know, the players all go home relatively happy. Of course, every game they talk about how they could have done this better, done that better. Uh, they didn't like turning the ball over three times, which is very unbomber-like, but they did force five turnovers, so they won the turnover battle. They took fewer penalties than Edmonton. It's kind of the same formula the Bombers use all the time. Uh, they got two defensive touchdowns, a pick six by DeAndre Alford and a touchdown by Adam Big Hill and a fumble recovery. They got off to a great start. Uh, we're leading 14 nothing early, and if Zach Kolaris doesn't underthrow Darvin Adams on their next series, they're up 21 nothing, and who knows uh, how the game turns out after that point. So, you know, they just if one part of the team is letting down, the other another part picks it up, and that's just the way they're rolling right now. So, as Michael Shea likes to say, it's never perfect, but six and one, uh, they're the class of the league. There's just absolutely no question about that. And uh, I don't know what the second half will bring, but the first half was an A plus for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So Blue Bombers kicking woes continue. Uh, does Ali Mortada get another? Uh, pardon the, the the pun here. Another kick at the cat versus the Lions in Vancouver on October first. Yeah, I think he will, Brett. Uh, based on what Michael Shea said after the game in Edmonton on Saturday night, uh, they are going to give him another chance. He uh, did make all his converts, which is something, I guess, but he missed three field goals. Now, two of them were fairly long, 45 and 50 yards, but he missed a 28-yarder, just a chip shot. And, you know, if you have three field goal tries, you've got to make at least two of them. And in a close game, that might be the difference between winning and losing. But your question is, will he get another chance? I believe he will, again, based on what Mike O'Shea said and how he feels about him. He's not going to dismiss Mortada after one game, even though he went 0 for 3. He thinks he is a strong leg, and he does. His kickoffs were deeper uh, the other night than we've seen from Mark Leggio. And Mike O'Shea thinks that once he kind of gets uh, things just organized uh, and tweaked a little better, he'll be just fine. So, yeah, I know much to the angst of Bomber fans, I believe we're going to see Ali Murtada get another chance unless Justin Medlock comes riding in on a white horse and then all bets are off. <laughs> well, Twitter's been active in inviting Medlock to consider coming back to Winnipeg, but it sounds like he's pretty entrenched in California. Now, just want to let Blue Bomber fans know that tonight, because of election coverage, of course, no Blue Bombers coaches show with yourself and Mike O'Shea, but tomorrow night we're going to do that 7 till 8 right here on The Voice of the Blue Bombers, 680 CGOB. Bob, with a, on a team with so many outstanding players, of 
course, Zach Caleros is being touted as the league's MOP at the halfway mark for the Blue Bombers uh, this season. Adam Bighill, Jackson Jeffcoat, Willie Jefferson have such a tremendous impact on the success, the defensive prowess of the blue and gold put on display weekly. But I'm going to throw out a name, and I'm, I, I know you're used to me mentioning this guy, but Nick Dembski, his versatility yeah. and reliability continues to impress me. Yeah, and they didn't use him a lot the other night, Greg, but uh, he came up with some key plays. It's a matter of, Doug and I were kidding on the broadcast, I think it was in the fourth quarter, or they hadn't, uh, used Dempsey, hadn't given the ball to Dembski for quite a while, and we both sort of mused that this might not be a bad time to get him involved again, and he comes up with a big play. And the touchdown he scored in the first quarter, where he ran through that mass of Edmonton Elks and uh, you know, the pile just kept moving, and there's Dembski wiggling and pushing his way through it into the end zone for a touchdown. It was a sensational play. Yeah, he's having a fabulous year. The, the thing the Bombers have going for them on offense, they have so many players that are contributing. Andrew Harris had 97 yards rushing. Rasheed Bailey and Darvin Adams came through in the receiving core. Kenny Lawler only had a catch or two, but it didn't matter. They won anyway, and Dembski didn't have his biggest night, but he made some key plays, and you know, when he was out for two games, he was missed, Nick Dembski, I mean. Uh, he's a critically important part of that offensive unit, and he's having a terrific year, and he should, all the plaudits he's getting, he richly deserves. Also want to talk about Jets. Uh, the veterans report to training camp on Wednesday, first preseason game coming this Sunday already. Uh, should yeah. Jets fans be excited about what's in store this season? Well, I think so. You know, I, I think they should have been last year, too. I recall talking about it, and they did have a very good team that had a very good year. Uh, they should be even better this year, you guys, with the two key defensemen they added in the off season, the veteran-proven blue liners, and that's what I think the fans and the organization obviously felt uh, you know, would maybe move them to another level. So their pro mini camp, I know, ends today. Main camp starts on Thursday on paper. This is a team that should be very, very good this coming season. And, uh, yes, Brett, in response to your question, should fans be excited? Yes, they should. Now it's up to the Jets then to not let them down, and I don't think they will. I, this is a very talented team with a great goaltender. No reason they won't be a factor all season long. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, I admit, uh, Bob, and, and I do this publicly, I'm not a fan of the Blue Jays as a as a as a, you know, a fanatic, so to speak. Uh, in fact, I'm sort of anti-Blue Jays, if I'm being really honest. But it's impossible to not be impressed with what the Jays are doing right now and how they're doing it. It's, it's very impressive. Well, they're getting great pitching. Of course, they have a powerful hitting lineup that uh, on any given day, you know, they're going to score eight or ten runs. You never know who's going to come through big, although there are four or five usual suspects. Uh, yeah, and they're a fun team to watch. People like offense, right? We've discussed that a million times. And, and the Jays uh, can hit home runs and score a bunch of runs. Vladdy Guerrero, the young star, has a chance to win a triple crown, which is kind of an ultimate in baseball. That's the batting title, the home run, and the RBI title. And with two weeks left in the season, he's right in the thick of that and has a great shot at it. So, And now they're fighting for a wild-card playoff spot. And uh, right now they're in a wild-card position you know, and who knows what's going to happen these last two weeks. They could get beat out. The Yankees are right on their heels. Uh, but they're an exciting uh, team, uh, Greg. And, you know, lots of people here are anti-Toronto. I expect you might fit into that category periodically. <laughs> and so if it's the Leafs or 
or anything Toronto. They don't like them. The Argos, it doesn't matter. But this is an exciting, fun-to-watch baseball team. That's the bottom line. Yeah, unfortunately, it goes back to the Expos and them not getting their due in 94. And, and of course, the, the Blue Jays getting all the success that they had. So, yeah, it, it, it's a long story, one I won't bore you with. But uh, I'm trying to be more open-minded as it pertains to the Toronto Blue Jays, Bob, I promise. Uh, I understand, but I also understand the feelings run deep. I have some very close friends, family members, who are anti-Toronto in every possible way and with no reasonable rationale behind it, really, other than we don't like the big smoke. Bob Irving joins us every Monday just after 8.30 and again, coaches show not tonight because of the election coverage that's happening tomorrow night. Bob, thank you for joining us, sir. Have a great day, everybody, and get out and vote. Mackling McGarry McNabb. McNabb is in Montreal for election coverage. Starts tonight at 6 o'clock. And she had an adventure with her wallet. Thought she lost the wallet. Thought she forgot the wallet. Pardon me. Not, not lost, but forgot. And it was too late. Uh, so she was in a panic at the airport. Turns out it was in her computer bag. So it worked I think out. I said, sorry, I said to you guys the best part was when I called my husband after I landed and said, Hey, guess what? I found the wallet in my laptop. He yells out to his parents who were there. I told you she. <laughs> He's like, my money was on you having it all along, and you were just frantic and in a panic. And I thought, yeah, you know me too well. But uh, hey, it, it, it is panic. It, it, nothing, I think, induces panic faster than realizing, oh my, where is my wallet? Like Jackie, yeah. I lost my wallet after staying at a hotel. I called the hotel, they didn't have it. I frantically canceled my credit cards. Ten minutes after I canceled my credit cards, the hotel calls, the hotel calls to say they found it. Uh, so no. I was happy they found it, but now I've canceled everything, and the rest of my trip was without credit cards. Right. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Gary, of course, Gary Hook, dropping another great story here, uh, GMAC. Yeah, good morning, team start. My wallet adventure story dates back to the early 1990s. We were moving from Ontario to Alberta and crossed over into the States at Sault Ste. Marie. I wanted to fill up. With cheap American gas. After paying for the gas, I was being too busy being a social butterfly and spent all my time speaking with the attendant instead of paying attention to what I was doing and left my wallet behind. Several hours later, we decided to take a break from driving. When I reached for my wallet... It was gone. Thank goodness for phone numbers on receipts. I called the gas station, and sure enough, it was there. Now, get this. The attendant should have won the Customer Service Award of the Year as they couriered my wallet, and it was waiting for me at the Holiday Inn south on Pembina Highway when we rolled into Winnipeg the next day. It's amazing (laughs) how we can develop habit patterns and become casual of something so very important. Thanks, Gary. So I'm going to read one more story here, and then the run you bring us home uh, with a winning text. But uh, this I love how this person puts this, opens this. This story takes place in a galaxy far, far away and a long time ago, just like Star Wars. When I was 29, I was working full-time, finally got a week off for a holiday. I was excited to spend a week at my cabin at the lake. I had the plan for Friday, pack the vehicle before I left for the final day, leave straight from work, stop off to get food, straight to the lake. Everything went as planned, arrive at the cabin. As soon as I arrived, I put the fast food bags in the garbage and my wallet on the counter. On Sunday, my parents left and took the garbage to the dump. I had big plans for Monday as a trip into Kenora to get groceries for the week. That morning, 
Worry set in, as I could not find my wallet. I looked everywhere. Kept looking at my car, living room, kitchen, everywhere. No luck. And then the horror hit me. The McDonald's bags were on the counter in the exact spot where I thought I had left my wallet. I can't tell you how many times I've dug through the trash for things I've put in there that I just purchased. Like, I'll buy something at the store, chuck it with the bag. I don't know if I've done the wallet, but I throw a lot of brand new stuff away. And then five minutes later, I'm I'm a... I'm a joke when it comes to losing <laughs> things. I'm just going to leave it like that. Well, okay. Go ahead okay. with Carolyn's story. Sorry, Brett. Uh, I thought I was out of time. So, Carolyn, my wallet story is in 1996. I was cycling from Winnipeg to Atlanta, Georgia for Habitat for Humanity. Went into a boutique and ended up leaving my wallet there with all my money for the trip and my Canadian citizen- citizenship card. I never did find it, but at the time, Glenn Murray was our mayor. He was on that trip and had to go with me to the Canadian <laughs> consulate to vouch for me. And honestly, wherever you are, they're like, I don't care. what What's Winnipeg? Who's the mayor of what? Well, this is the mayor. That would be part of the process. He says I'm who I am. <laughs> the mayor of Winnipeg, ma'am. Look it up on the internet. You are in internet. Atlanta, and we don't care who your mayor is. Carolyn, you that's crazy. Card. She gets the mayor, a personal vouch for the, from the mayor. That's pretty cool. Way to go, Carolyn. You're a winner today. $20 Santa Lucia pizza coming your way. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren McNabb is in Montreal, and she has bid us adieu for the rest of the morning because she is in Montreal for the election coverage. She's going to be part of the global national team. Coverage starts at 6 o'clock on 680 CJOB, on globalnews.ca, on the Global News app, on Amazon Prime Video, on Roku, and then televised coverage will begin at 9 o'clock because Global's uh, fall primetime lineup gets underway tonight, so the election coverage will be coming in after that. Uh, and uh, she had problems with her finding her wallet, GMAC. You have had problems this morning just getting your hands on some caffeine. Oh, man. Like, uh, Monday, <laughs> I knew you'd be in a bad mood with regard to the election and everything. Not your favorite day. It's Super Bowl, great cup for Loren. <laughs> She's in Montreal. So I thought, I'm bringing Brett a Coke Slurpee this morning for breakfast. So I stop at 345. No. They didn't even. They didn't even have any. Like I couldn't even brought you like the meltiest the syrup. Like nothing. It, like there was nothing in the Coke dispenser, <laughs> and I didn't know any of the other flavors that you really like. And it's not a surprise if I ask you, hey, which of these four flavors would you like for a Slurpee, Brad? So I decided against it. Came uh, without tea this morning. Had a Gatorade instead. So I just rushed over to the Richardson Building to get a Tim Hortons tea. I didn't have any. Now I'm over <laughs> two, man. Oh no! <laughs> well, hopefully it won't be a three strikes and you're out kind of situation today. I hope so too. All right. So listen, tomorrow is World Alzheimer's Day in recognition of the overwhelming impact this disease is having on our society. St. Boniface Hospital Foundation is presenting the Health Report 2.0, an interactive conversation featuring our next guest. Dr. Benedict Albenzi is a leader in his field, Brett, driving investigation to understand the mechanisms of dementia, Alzheimer's disease, brain injury, mitochondrial dysfunction, memory, and aging. And until very recently, Dr. Albenzi was based at St. Boniface Hospital Research Centre. 
Well, he joins us today from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, as the newly appointed Department Chair of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the Nova Southern University College of Pharmacy. Over the years, Dr. Albenzi has graciously joined us here on CJOB as a go-to expert on the research surrounding and the future impact of Alzheimer's. So we say good morning once again to Dr. Benedict Albenzi. How are you, Ben? Hey, good morning, Greg. Good morning, Winnipeg. It's great can to you have you. hear me okay? We can hear you perfectly and look forward to what we're doing tomorrow. We'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But could you tell us a bit about the scope and scale of Alzheimer's disease and how the field has evolved over your 25 years of study? You know, it's amazing how many changes have taken place. Uh, even before I started studying Alzheimer's disease, I had been interested in memory and memory impairment, which, of course, is intimately linked. But the field's changed so much, it's, a, it's just incredible. So early on, there were really two camps uh, of scientists and physicians that studied Alzheimer's, those that followed amyloid beta, that sticky toxic, uh, toxic protein that we think is implicated in Alzheimer's, and then also tau, yet another protein, uh, which gets hyper phosphorylated, so it's a biochemical term for uh, an abnormal alteration in that protein. And they were really two camps. I mean, this, these people didn't always talk to each other. They'd have heated debates. Uh, the controversy existed for years. And so, make a long story short, a lot of that has eased up. Uh, people now believe both of these protein markers are implicated in Alzheimer's, but yet we're even on another wave of uh, cutting-edge activity now, because now uh, many scientists like my, myself believe that these proteins are involved, but there are other things more important. And I think that this is helping to explain why we don't have any drugs that are working uh, very well at all. They're largely ineffective. And so there are other factors involved that are playing critical roles that we're just starting to understand more clearly and we're just to be, uh, getting started on targeting. The gray wave is a term that we have heard you use over time. What sort of impact are all types of dementia having on our society and what levels of impact should we be preparing for? Well, I mean, I think we all know what COVID was like the last year and a half. And, and so I don't think it's an exaggeration to think that we're in, in line for something uh, similar. So there's two, two sets of impacts that I see. I mean, one's the emotional impact that's going to affect not only the families today, but so many families going forward, because this is a disease that's growing. It's not shrinking. You know, we've, we've made such terrific progress with cancer and even heart disease, uh, but with regard to Alzheimer's, we're still losing the battle. So you have that emotional impact on the family and caregivers. The other, the second impact is the economic impact for the province, for the state, for any country. Uh, the budgets are just going to be so pushed Beyond their limits, it's just going to be incredible. So those are the those two main things that I see. And, of course, there's other impacts, too. Yeah, financially, the economic implications, of course, uh, may be incalculable, although I'm sure there are people trying to do that, uh, Dr. Yeah. Albenzi, and, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that. By the way, just want to let you know how you can register for our conversation tomorrow. It takes place at noon. You can go online if you're in the social media world, STBHF, or that's, uh, that's for St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, and you can follow the links there to register, or you can go on the website, the stbhf.ca. Uh, 
That's the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation website. We'd love to join you. And, uh, you know, research and medicine, you mentioned COVID-19 has been in the spotlight throughout this pandemic. So you mentioned pharmaceuticals and the fact that really nothing's been developed yet that is working very well against Alzheimer's. So what role might they play eventually once now that everybody's sort of on the same team uh, with regards to Alzheimer's long-term, is it going to be a combination of things we can do to prevent and as well treat Alzheimer's ultimately? Well, I think you're correct, Greg. There's going to be a, a number of things. I think prevention is going to ha- uh, be more important than it used to be. Uh, I think drugs will continue to play a role, but we're looking at other therapeutic approaches. So, for example, uh, mitochondrial transfusion, mitochondrial medicines, uh, electrical and magnetic stimulation, so TMS and, and deep brain stimulation, also other types of um, uh, stem cell therapy. I mean, we've got a lot of cutting-edge stuff that's moving forward that people are making progress on in addition to drugs. But I don't, you know, drugs are not out of the picture. We're still going to see a huge pharma industry. We're going to see lots of activity. Of course, there's a, a new, newly approved FDA drug. Now, there's been some controversy surrounding that drug. It's, it's something that you have to get IV. You have to get a, a specialist to recommend uh, that treatment. And I think you have to get it on a monthly basis. So it's, it's not perfect for everyone. Um, so it's the only more recently approved Alzheimer's drug. Of course, we haven't had any for years and years. And so we're going to start, we're going to continue to see pharmaceuticals playing a role. But I think we're going to get better at figuring out uh, what we need to do to target specialized populations, men versus women, uh, the elderly versus middle age. We're going to get a lot better at, at learning how to not only pharmacologically target, but also use all these other approaches I just mentioned. You mentioned TMS, uh, Transcranial magnetic stimulation. Magnetic stimulation. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. something that that they've been using uh, and here in Winnipeg successfully with regards that's to right. battling depression. So you and I have had conversations about traumatic brain injury and the connection to depression. Do we know if there is a connection long term potentially between brain injury and Alzheimer's? And are there some other things that we should watch for in terms of our brain health that might be a predictor as to whether or not we're susceptible to dementia, Alzheimer's in particular? Well, there's a lot we can do. Um, But with regard to brain injury, which would include stroke or head trauma, uh, it certainly is a risk factor for dementia. Now, the evidence is a lot more clear with regards to other forms of dementia, Uh, so Huntington's disease and even Parkinson's, ALS. Uh, There are some people that are still arguing over the details for the risk for dementia with regard to, uh, well, head injury and the risk for dementia. So, but I think, you know, the evidence is starting to, uh, we see more and more every day, but uh, all of those are risk factors, head trauma and stroke. Um, TMS, though, of course, Dr. Uh, Musavi, a good friend of mine in Winnipeg, uses TMS. I'm involved in another, uh, we're writing a grant right now with some of my colleagues in Massachusetts on TMS to not only to treat Alzheimer's, uh, my colleagues in Massachusetts are using it currently actually to treat depression. We're going to shift our focus and treat uh, those with Alzheimer's, but we're also going to combine it with cognitive training that you probably have heard a lot about. So like brain fitness training uh, in combination with this transcranial magnetic stimulation to treat Alzheimer's too. So yet another novel approach. Is that something we can do to, to fight off potentially Alzheimer's and dementia is to, is to keep our brains active? We've had this discussion in the past as well. 
Yeah, so, you know, uh, that's a great question. I think with regards to preventative strategies, you know, diet and exercise are hugely important. Uh, we're going to see drugs and um, other things for later stage disease. We're also going to see TMS, I think, might be useful for middle uh, middle stage and later stage disease, uh, stem cell therapy for later stage disease. So, you know, we're getting a lot more tools in our toolbox. And so it just depends on the person. It depends on the family history. It depends on our genetics. It's going to depend on how serious or severe the disease is. So we're going to be using more very specific techniques going forward, and hopefully we're going to see a lot more effectiveness. Dr. Benedict Albenzi, good friend of us here at 680 CJOB. Uh, we're going to miss you here in Winnipeg, but congratulations on the new gig in Florida. I know uh, that your work here in Manitoba will continue just maybe from afar, and we won't get to see your face uh, quite as often. But I look forward to our presentation tomorrow on our back and forth on this uh, very important topic. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Well, my 18-year-old's still there at the University of Manitoba, so you will be seeing me occasionally flying in. And, of course, I have that trial uh, clinical trial on flaxseed in Winnipeg going on yet. So uh, good talking to you, and we'll talk more tomorrow. That's great. Uh, once again, STBHF on Twitter. That is the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. Brett, tomorrow, uh, Dr. Benedict Albenzi, our guest uh, just in the last few minutes here, will join yours truly. It's the Health Report 2.0. We're going virtual. It's our third presentation of this type this year. And uh, if you'd like to join, you can reach out via Twitter. You can go to STBHF. .ca on the web to register, or if you want to connect with me, I'll, I'll send you the link to do just that. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.